Well, what is in your diary uh, this week? Uh, or perhaps, like me, it's not a diary, it's the phone calendar that you use, or it's a shared calendar uh, with my wife, as we need to make note of uh, what's going on, something unusual, there's a meeting that's different, there's usually something uh, abnormal in any given week, and with kids, who's going to be looking after the kids, all those sorts of things. Well, I wonder what's in, in your diary this week, or maybe what plans, thinking a little bit further ahead than just the week, uh, what plans do you have for the summer? Maybe you have a, a holiday away somewhere. Maybe you have a wedding. Maybe you're planning on a, a third cut of silage or, or something like that. Uh, what about these plans? Are, how set in stone are they for you? How flexible are you on them? Well, that, those sorts of questions about plans for the week, plans for the summer, uh, very much are, are under the, the microscope for James in the passage that we're considering this evening. And uh, he asks, as he opens in verse 13, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Now, uh, we might think, well, this is something to do with wealth, people's desire for wealth and profit and riches. And indeed, in chapter 5, he will come on to, to, to deal with the rich. Although here, I think this is just an example. So there's a sense in which... Uh, it's come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will dot, 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 fill in the blank. What might you uh, put there? And his real issue here, it's not, it's not wealth, as I say, but arrogance. Wealth is just the example. The main issue he has here in this short passage is that of arrogance living as if there is no God or as if God is dead. The issue is arrogant presumption. Arrogant presumption. And there's all sorts of plans we uh, can make and do make. This passage is not saying we shouldn't make plans for the week ahead or for the months ahead, but there's a certain way we are to make them. And it reminds us of, as we move through this passage, it reminds us that we are not actually as sure as we think we are on what's going to happen. And even before looking in detail at the, at the text, we can see in our own experience in recent years how that's the case. People going about their business, doing their everyday things, uh, and then came the end of 2019 and the start of 2020. And all sorts of plans, all sorts of uh, ideas about doing this and that and the other basically all came to a halt with the entrance of the COVID pandemic. Uh, and the things that we saw as so basic uh, in life actually no longer were happening. The ability to see people that we would have seen on a, on a, on a daily or a weekly basis, that just stopped. So all sorts of things shut down uh, with COVID coming. And so there was a stop put to the plans that we think are so set in stone and so sure, thinking a little bit further back. In the lead up to 2008 and the financial crash, people thought maybe along the lines of, of the example that James gives here, uh, we could go to a town, uh, spend a year there, tree and make a profit. People thought we can go, we can buy a house, we can buy another house, we can do this and do that. And the interest rates are going to go up and things are going to keep going uh, well. And then all of a sudden, uh, the world financially went into meltdown and brought a halt uh, to all of that. And so, 
there is something apt in, in this passage, not just for James writing uh, to those we presume in the first century uh, who presumed success, presumed longevity of, of life, imagined immortality for them. We'll just do this and we'll do that. You know, there's something that speaks into our own circumstances, even in very recent uh, memory. So, uh, let's uh, think a little bit more about uh, this issue of presumption uh, and planning. Uh, as I say, it's not against planning, but it's against a certain type. And so, let's look uh, on and see what James has to say. Uh, and sorry, before we do that, maybe we should compare what James says uh, here in chapter 4 uh, with what Jesus says in Matthew, as you've, you've, you've heard me uh, probably a number of times in the past talk about how uh, James elaborates in many ways on what Jesus says. Uh, and in the Sermon on the Mount, in James chapter five, or sorry, in Matthew chapter 5, uh, Jesus speaks uh, to this uh, type of issue. Uh, where, sorry, uh, not chapter uh, 5, chapter 6, where he says, verse 25 of Matthew 6, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of much more value? Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Uh, maybe some are scratching their head thinking, what's the connection there? Uh, and then really... It's the opposite side of the same coin here. It's the person Jesus speaking about who is presuming things about the future, but it's the sort of person who maybe has the more concerned or, or cynical, negative disposition who's presuming that the future holds lots of sorrow rather than success. James is talking about the other side of that same coin, those who are presuming success. But again, it's looking to the future without actually being able to tell what's going to happen in the future. And so Jesus addresses those who are concerned about the future, that they won't have enough food, that they won't have clothing, all of these basic things, whereas James speaks uh, to the person who thinks, the world is my oyster, I can do what I want, when I want, whatever I set out to do, I'll achieve that. And so there's a, a challenge here for us uh, as we look at these uh, few verses uh, as to how we do things. He, he brings this initial challenge in verse 13, uh, and in verse 14, he starts to explain, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. We've already given a couple of uh, contemporary illustrations of that, 2008 uh, and the COVID pandemic. Uh, he goes on to say, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Communicates there that 
that image, just how temporary uh, our life is. Where um, uh, we are up the road there. Uh, I don't know if you ever travel up the Connor Road. I'm sure a few of you do. Maybe you head that way to Belfast, uh, and you are heading up sort of high. Um, it's Dunamoggy. It's up on the hill, and interestingly, usually I'm coming up from Parkgate, and you sort of get up just before the Ballywee Road, where the, where the man says. And it seems like the mist and the fog just is up there at the top. And uh, yeah, it's, it's not down below. Uh, and of course, during the winter then, you get quite a lot of, of mist or of fog. But I couldn't tell you a date now, what day it was foggy. It was there, and then it was away. And now, it's, as you look out, you get the great views over the Six Mile Valley and the, and the bright shining sun. And yet James uses this image to say, look, your life is actually like that, that mist that foggy day that you can't quite remember from months ago in the winter time. He's saying your life is actually like that. It vanishes. It's there for a little time and then vanishes. Uh, again, he's, he's saying there's, a, there's an arrogant presumption here of thinking greatly of ourselves rather than recognizing who we are in the grand scheme of things. And so after uh, making this point, uh, verse 15, he says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will do this, uh, or, or we will live and do this or do that, if the Lord wills. Uh, we need to not be making too many uh, great plans for tomorrow without God's involvement in those. Um, and there is a challenge here as well where uh, we think about tomorrow and we think, well, I can do this and I can do that, but tomorrow is not guaranteed. Your life might vanish. And elsewhere in Scripture, it, it's quoted in, in Psalm, it's from the Psalms, and it's quoted in various places in the New Testament. Today, if you hear God's voice, don't, do not harden your heart. And there's a challenge for everyone who sits in a pew and listens to God's Word on any given Sunday, any given passage, any given sermon. Each and every time you hear, there's a certain level of presumption at play when you reject what you hear. There's a certain hardening of the heart that goes on, presuming, sure, I can listen tomorrow. Sure, I can pay better attention next Sunday. Uh, you know, I can respond tomorrow. Sure, church is on every week. I have ample opportunity to respond when it suits me. Some people might take the view, well, I'll make my fortune and then I'll give sacrificially to the church. Or I'll get my career sorted, then I'll settle down and have a family. Or I'll enjoy what the world has to offer. Then I'll come back to church and I'll serve in the church and I'll be an active uh, member of the church. And there's this presumption and there's this delaying, putting things off until tomorrow. And yet tomorrow is not guaranteed for many people. There's obviously the serious effects of things like COVID pandemic, things like financial crash, but things can be more than that. We actually can lose uh, life and we think of some examples of in the past where people were turning up, April 2013, Boston, half a million people lined the streets to watch the Boston Marathon, and then two bombs went off before the finish line. An eight-year-old died and a couple of others, and many people were maimed, losing body parts. In October 2017 in Las Vegas, there was a country music festival going on, and someone from a hotel room started firing shots off into the crowd, uh, and I think it was 40 or 60 people died. We had a similar thing here in Manchester at a, an Ariana Grande concert. 
And actually, if you look closely, if you're ever, no one's looking closely at my face, but I have a very small scar right beside my left eye. And this scar was sustained uh, at the end of August in the year 2000. I have quite a good memory of this. Uh, and I received it during a snowball fight. And now you might be wondering, how were you in a snowball fight uh, at the end of August? Well, we were on a family holiday in Austria. We were down by the lakes uh, in the valley, but there was uh, one of those funicular trains heading up the mountain. Uh, it was Mount Kitsteinhorn, which I think is the second highest mountain in Austria. So we went up the, this train, I think it was a mile and a half up through this big tunnel through the mountain to the top. And of course, there was snow on the top and my brothers and I had a snowball fight and uh, we were getting ready to go then. And my younger brother at the time was crying because he hadn't, um, he hadn't hit anyone with a snowball. And being the good big brother that I was, made fun of him uh, for this. And he decided he would throw a snowball at me from about your distance or closer. Uh, and he still didn't hit me, which I was sort of proud of at the time. But the reason he didn't hit me was because I swung my head down into an iron railing uh, and then the blood started. Uh, and so it wouldn't stop for some reason. I don't know whether altitude affects blood, but it wasn't stopping even with pressure. Uh, and so we had to get down, back down this funicular train and uh, get it sort of patched up with some sort of special plaster. Now, why am I telling you that? Well, that was at the end of August in 2000. I remember them being at school and hearing the news just less than three months later, that same train 155 people died on that when a, when a fire started in the bottom, a fan heater at the bottom of the train, and there was only 12 survived. They came out and they went down through the flames and as everyone else tried to go up, and it was like a giant chimney, and 155 people lost their life. The very same train I'd been on just about 10 weeks before. And these were people who were going, no doubt, to go up the mountain, planning to ski, to enjoy the snow, maybe to have a snowball fight, and they went up and 155 died and did not come back down. That's maybe a shocking thing to hear, and yet it does illustrate that we are not sure of anything. And maybe you think, well, that's a bit like a shock tactic. I'm sure you've heard in the past people making an evangelistic appeal. Well, what happens if you go out and you're struck by a bus today and we maybe don't like that sort of thing? And yet listen to what Jesus says in Luke 12 talking of this rich man who wants to build bigger barns, you fool, this night your soul is required of you. You see, there is a danger with presumption about tomorrow, either presuming that all things are going to be bad, we're going to worry and be anxious about things, presuming that we're going to be so successful, but also presuming that we can respond to God tomorrow. It's been said that the devil's favorite word is tomorrow, whereas the Bible always exhorts us with the language of today. Think of Joshua 24, 15. Uh, choose this day who you will serve. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Think of Psalm 118. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. We even have it here uh, in James 4. And even if you turn back a few pages uh, to Hebrews 3, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. And even just to pause there, this is not just for the non-Christian who needs to respond today. 
the person outside of the church who needs to hear this message. Notice again there what he says in verse 12, take care brothers, lest there be in any of you an unbelieving heart. And I think from this we can see that the author of the, the book of Hebrews recognizes that within the visible church, there is a mixture of people. There are some who uh, are truly regenerate, born again of God, but there are others who they may have made a profession of faith, they may claim to be a Christian, but in the end, that profession will have been found to have been false. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, for we share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, as it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And so how we respond to God is not just uh, take it or leave it. It is, it is something which is a life or death uh, situation because we do not know what tomorrow holds. And it applies to, to, to death, it applies to any plans, but even it applies to, to every time, as I mentioned earlier, you hear a sermon. I wonder if you're sitting here and you're continuing in unbelief. Maybe you've made some sort of profession of faith uh, years ago and you're here, which is good, but in many ways you reject Jesus. You don't pay that much attention. You sort of hear what you want to hear and leave behind the rest. The question is, why are you refusing to respond to him when he calls to you, when obviously most of the time it's going to be Philip uh, up here, opening God's word, explaining and applying God's word. Even here now, under the preaching of God's word, you have an opportunity to draw near to God through his son, Jesus. Do, do that. Don't leave it. Don't think, well, I can do that next week. I can do that some other time. I've got other things to do first, other things to think about the same opportunity to draw near uh, to God that everyone has for others, it actually produces distance. You continue to reject what you hear, try to doze your way through, but then you actually become a dab hand at rejecting God and his words. But it puts you in a very perilous position. You might look the part sitting in your Sunday best, but inside your heart is becoming calloused and shriveled up hardened. I'm reminded of a, a quote by J.C. Ryle on Luke chapter 8 where he said, it's not enough that we go to church and hear sermons. We may do so for 50 years and rather than benefit, be worse off. Take heed then how you hear. And the reason he says that is for every sermon you reject, the next one will be that little bit easier to reject. For every call from God's word to come to him you spurn, the next time the resistance will be that little bit more confirmed. Maybe you've heard the, the saying, sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. You may well be down a, a certain path now, but it's not too late to sow a new thought. It's not too late. It's too late if you leave that until tomorrow because tomorrow is not assured. Today, if you hear God's word, do not harden your heart. Verse 15, back in James 4, uh, we read, 
Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Now, uh, I'm sure, I'm not sure what the, 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 the notice board out on the street says about your times for worship. Isn't it midday and, and 6.30? And I wonder, does it say DV? Uh, maybe it used to say DV. Maybe that's a thing of the past. Uh, Deo Valente, it, it comes from the Latin for God willing, if nothing prevents it. Uh, and it's maybe seen as a little bit old-fashioned now, that sort of thing. Um, but there's something in that. Uh, and even as we think about that, uh, reminded there we're singing in, in uh, O God of Bethel, there's that line, give us this day our daily bread, which again we see in the, in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, we don't like this idea of God willing next week. We, we sort of think, no, we know what's going to happen next week. We've got our calendars, we've got our planners, we've got our diary. This is what I'm going to do this week. This is what I'm going to achieve. Uh, and so, yeah, things are all set out. We know what's going to happen. We don't need to say God willing. And I mentioned there, give us this day our daily bread. The reality is for us living today, is that a prayer we really want to say? I think a lot of us would be unhappy and very discontent if God was just to give us our daily bread. No, we want enough bread, enough meals, not just for the week, but for the month. We don't want to be living to the end of the month, you know, wondering, I can't spend money for the next couple of days. We want to have plenty of money in our bank accounts to provide for ourselves, to feel a sense of security, a sense of we're in control, we're in charge. Whereas, obviously, those in poverty, uh, when Jesus said that, give us this day our daily bread, they didn't know what tomorrow held for them. It might be old-fashioned for some to, to think uh, DV, Deo Valente, and yet there is something in that where we, no matter how much money's in our bank account, no matter how well-organized our lives may be, we just don't know uh, what tomorrow brings. Uh, Kevin DeYoung is an uh, American Presbyterian and uh, has this little book. It's a few years old now. It's called Just Do Something, A Liberating Approach to Finding God's Will. Uh, and in it, he uh, comments on these few verses from James, talking about uh, obsessing about the future, getting anxious about it, uh, as, as Matthew mentioned. Uh, and he says this uh, about these few verses in James. This is one of the clearest texts on the sovereignty of God. If we make it to the grocery store this afternoon, according to James, the Lord willed it. If we live to be a hundred, the Lord willed it. If we live to be only 45, the Lord willed it. We don't have to say if the Lord wills after every sentence, but it must be in our heads and hearts. We must live our lives believing that all of our plans and strategies are subject to the immutable will of God. Therefore, we should be humble in looking to the future because we don't control it. God does. And we should be hopeful in looking to the future because God controls it, not us. And this brings us back to anxiety, our tendency to live out the future before it arrives. We must renounce our sinful desire to know the future and to be in control. We are not gods. We walk by faith, not by sight. We risk because God does not risk. Um, we walk into the future in God-glorifying confidence, not because the future is known to us, but because it is known to God, and that's all we need to know. Worry about the future is not simply a character tick, 
It is the sin of unbelief and an indication that our hearts are not resting in the promises of God. And so, as he says, in some ways it doesn't matter if your church sign says VV. We don't need to say it, uh, but we need to have it in our heads and in our hearts in whatever we seek to do. Otherwise, as verse 16 says, we are guilty of arrogance and boasting. And he says all such boasting is evil. You see, notice what's missing in verses 13 and 14. Any mention of God, any mention of the Lord, whereas what he calls for is, if the Lord wills, we will do this and do that. It's almost like we want to hold whatever desires we have in an open hand. An open hand. This is what I'm planning to do if the Lord wills it, but the Lord might take it away and it can just be blown away as like the mist. Whereas when we have a tight grip on things, if they are to be removed from our hand, it's going to be more painful for us to have our fingers uh, uncurled to, to get whatever that desire, whatever that thing is, out of our closed fist. The call in this passage in James is not to be arrogant presumers, but to be dependent disciples, accepting God's providence, looking to him in faith, responding to him today, trusting him in whatever happens, and not living as if God is dead, as if God is not there, as if Christ will not return. It might just be that that's some of the context of what uh, James is writing into, where people were thinking, well, Christ is due to come back again. And they're thinking, well, he hasn't come back yet. So we can just get on with living life the way we want to live it. The reality is that Christ will return. And there's a couple of times in chapter five that he, he raises this uh, about how Christ the Lord will return. And therefore, all wrongs will be made right. Uh, and so we're called not only to seek profit in this world or in this life, and as I say, we want to live and act in an open-handed way. It's not just for those James wrote to. It is for us. We're tempted to do the same, especially with thinking about Christ not returning. It's not just about whether we'll die today or tomorrow, but it's also about when Christ will return. I'm sure we can just plan for this life, plan for retirement, plan for however many years down the line. I am the master of my own destiny. And again, we're guilty of having too grand a view of ourselves. God wants us to take stock through the message of James tonight, to pay attention and to come back to him, to not leave him out of your thinking. And again, the overarching uh, issue in the book of James is this idea of a, a divided heart, a double-mindedness. And the double-mindedness comes in here in this particular issue. It's where we profess to know and to love God, profess to believe in God and his power and his authority and his sovereignty. But then in many ways, we're what could be called practical atheists. We go about our lives Monday to Saturday without a care for what, uh, how God might be involved in our lives. And so there's a dividedness in our thinking there. Practical atheists and yet saying with our lips that we believe in God. Kevin DeYoung had said there, we can look to the future with confidence and with hopefulness because when we do and when we are those who respond to God's word each and every time we hear it, well, then we can have that confidence and that hope for the future. 
We can say, as Scripture says, come Lord Jesus. The desire for, for Jesus uh, to return, to, to, to draw the curtain on all evil, to, to wipe away every tear. And uh, whatever we do in life, whatever we plan, because we have an open hand, we're entrusting ourselves to God's will, to God's providence, to God's sovereignty. And we're going to close now by uh, singing uh, the hymn, My Heart is Filled with Thankfulness.